0: Criticism and praise the Lord everybody. Well, how time does fly, Brother Burke. It doesn't seem possible that the year has gone and it's been a year since we were here together. Well, some of you weren't here, but some of us come every year. (laughs) We need the School of Missions. (laughs) We really do. It is a time of real blessing. And we have looked forward to coming for this day being with you in the services, and uh, I know that, as I've often said, I I will be the beneficiary because I will receive far more than I can possibly give. God bless you again as you're seated. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Sism, for the kind introduction. Uh, we so enjoy the work of the Lord. I somehow feel uh, like Sister McFarlane. Uh, who said it? I'm sure when her husband was general secretary. <laughs> Stuck. <laughs> Praise God. When when all the desk piles up, yes. After conference activities, yes. Oh, yeah. Stuck. <laughs> but when it begins to you know kind of get uh, taken care of and and the good efficient help we have at headquarters takes over the r- real load and. Then we kind of feel like we're getting a little bit unstuck, <laughs> and I I just thought today how how am I going to shift gears again? Uh, all of this week has been shifting from one gear to another. Uh, last weekend we were privileged to be again in DeRidder, Louisiana, brother and sister Glass's uh, hometown and great church with brother and sister Rex Johnson and what a church it is. And it's great to see Brother Sister Glass here. They're tremendous. Uh, then uh, on Wednesday, I went to Annapolis, Maryland for a great conquest convention. And I went with uh, uh, some apprehension, because who would possibly be able to go two weeks after a general conference? But there was over 500 in the day session. And the night sessions were just filled with people and with the power of God. It was fantastic. And then my wife and I journeyed to Port Arthur, Texas, Friday for a minister and wives retreat. And uh, so we shifted gears again and had a great time in Port Arthur. Came back last night, and and now School of Missions. You don't need... uh, conquest probably, or what we had at conquest. You probably don't need a minister and wives retreat. You don't need an evangelistic sermon today. All of you are saved and (laughs) filled with the glory of God, I trust. Amen. Uh, You must be. Yay. So, uh, what uh, what gear shall... Well, you know, we just have to rely on the Lord. I guess that's what it means, instant, in season. Amen. So, uh, I, I want to minister to myself as I minister to you. And uh, in this Sunday morning service, I just kind of want to talk to you a little bit out of my heart. And uh, uh, we'll just go right on into what I feel. Except I do want to again express my appreciation for the Foreign Missions Division, a very efficient division of our great church. And I say that uh, uh, in meaning it. They are very efficient. And Brother Sism, Brother Judd, Brother Rodenbush, Brother Lehman, and all of these staff members who are here. And uh, I don't know why my secretary is here. Uh, uh, I'd like to think she uh, she likes to hear me preach. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Uh, she gets enough lectures at, uh, at the office, so she, <laughs> she needs a little spiritual uh, feeding today. But anyway, <laughs> great. And all of these good uh, regional uh, field supervisors and every one of you, it's just just great to be here. Praise God. This past summer, and I'm not going to take a particular text right now, but this past summer, uh, I feel to tell you about it, uh, my family had a distinct privilege, once-in-a-lifetime privilege, of uh, all being together in uh, London, England, for a week. Uh, It started out with my wife and I being invited to the Scottish Conference in uh, Glasgow, and when some of our... Children begin to learn about it. They said, "Hey, let's all go." Well, there were ten of us—all of the adult uh, and near adults of our immediate family. We left the two five-year-olds and the one eight-month-old, which didn't need to be there. So uh, there were ten of us: our wife and I, and our uh, three children, their companions, and uh, two oldest grandchildren. And we—we we really had a great time. We filled every minute. We got those passes on the subways, and you could just jump on one, and we knew how to jump at the same time and, and jump off at the same time, and we got to see so many things. And uh, one of the things that we did get to see, uh, but we arrived so late we didn't get to see much of it, was Windsor Castle. We got there 30 minutes before closing time. And if you've ever been to Windsor Castle, you know it's quite a a lot to see there. There's the apartments, there's the what the ladies wanted to see, the doll collection, and it's just a great big palace, one of the most beautiful with a great wall around it and several buildings on the inside. And and so uh, as we rushed in through the gate knowing we only had 30 minutes, which way would we go? Well, we just all took off in different directions. And I went into uh, the St. George's Cathedral there. I had uh, uh, been there one time before, but I wanted to see it again. And uh in this ca- uh, cathedral, uh, or St. George's Chapel, that's a separate building apart from all of the other buildings, I rushed through, and there on the far side was the... Uh, Uh, niche in the wall that had been built especially for the burying of King George VI, who is the father of Queen Elizabeth. He became the king in 1936 when his brother abdicated the throne for the love, uh, or his lover, and he kept the throne and died in 1952, and then he was buried. Uh, They made a special dispensation or something to build on to St. George's Chapel, a place, that building had not been touched nor any new construction for maybe hundreds of years, but they did build a place, a space out from one wall, uh, and there you can see his crypt. Uh, there's a barrier, of course, and uh, there's a guard standing by. And then there's a place for the possibility that his wife, who is yet living, may someday be buried by the side of him. But uh, there's something unusual. Maybe you've heard about it. But there's something unusual that if you're ever there, you'll want to see. There's a little plaque by the side of that barrier. Now, King George VI was the king during World War II, when England really suffered a lot. And uh, in 1940, which was, the, the war was already going on in England, in 1940. Uh, King George VI spoke uh, a message over the radio to all of the British people. And on this little plaque is a portion of his message. Uh, and it is incredible. As you stand there and read the portion of his message in 1940, Christmas message, ready to go into 1941... And this is what is written there on that plaque. And I said to the man that stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light, that I may tread into the unknown. And he said unto me, Go out into the darkness, and put your hand into the hand of God. For it is better than a light, and safer than a known way. That's a tremendous statement. Amen, amen. Well, there was something else that happened to us uh, in that uh, in that uh, visit to England. Uh, as I said, we filled every day with sightseeing, and I knew that we were all probably having our personal devotions early in the morning in our own rooms, and I being the father, the head of the clan, uh, I knew that at some point in time we needed to have a, a meeting together, a church meeting. We was having meetings on the subway and in the restaurants and in the sightseeing places, but we needed to have a church service. But uh, I just neglected to to assemble us together for it. And we was coming down to uh, the last day that we was going to be there, Saturday night and then Sunday was the last day. And I still hadn't made arrangements. You don't get ten people up uh, going uh, very readily or easily and inserting something extra in for them without planning on it. But anyway, I just knew that we had to do it, but I didn't plan on it. And here it was the next day Sunday. Well, I was in a dead sleep. I was sound asleep in the wee early hours of Sunday morning. I began to dream. And I wanted to tell you about it. I began to dream that I was in a service and that Brother Urshan was in charge of the service. And uh, in the preliminaries he turned to me, I was sitting at the organ, and he turned to me and he said, Brother Becton, I want you to play Take Time to be Holy. And I said, I don't know that. Well he went on with something else in the service and I thought well. He's forgotten it, and great, I don't know it, and and we'll get by without it. But then he turned back around and he said, Brother Becton, play, take time to be holy. Well, Sister Urshan in the dream was sitting behind me, and she began to softly sing it. And I could hear her just enough to where I could make the various chord changes and kind of, you know, uh, go through the motions in the dream. And as I played it completely through according to the way Sister Urshan was singing it, then I suddenly woke up, and I was crying for all that I had neglected to do. God had spoken to me through a dream and said, Now you take time to be holy. Well, I immediately called all the rooms of our children, and I said, come. We're gathering here. I don't care what the day has got for us. We're going to gather in our room. We're going to have church. Well, all ten of us was there in that small hotel room. You know, they don't have big rooms in some places. But we gathered in there. We was around the walls and across the beds. And I began to tell them about my dream. And as I did, I began to sob. And then they, too, began to cry, all ten of us, I think, without exception, was weeping. And uh, through uh, catching my breath between sobs, I said, hey, this is what it's all about. This is the reason why we're having such a great time together. This is this is why we need to come together and pray and read the Word of God. And uh, And we had a tremendous service because... God indelibly imprinted on my mind that song, Take Time to be Holy. Well, through the day, I began to doubt. Was there such a song? We didn't sing it in the church that I grew up in. Was there a song, or or, or was it a statement somebody made, or was it... uh, just a, a, a something that the Lord spoke to me and I, I didn't want to ask any of my children because I, I would have been embarrassed I so emphatically said it was a song and I didn't want them to say it wasn't. And so the next morning they all left to come back to the States. My wife and I went to Glasgow and Brother Kelly was anxious for us to see his little church there and it is a beautiful place. And had a tremendous conference. But I was more anxious to find a song book And so when I went into the auditorium of that beautiful old sanctuary church, I picked up the songbook and I quickly looked into the index, and there it was. Take time to be holy. Uh, It's in our latest songbook. Oh, I know it's a filler. They just put it in there, I'm sure, because nobody ever sings it, just to fill up space. But I quickly grabbed a piece of paper and a pencil because though I didn't feel like I knew the song, I wanted to write the words down. And this is the way it goes. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in Him always and feed on His Word. Make friends with God's children. Help those who are weak. Forgetting nothing, His blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him thou shalt be. Thy friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Ah, God. Take time to be holy, let him be thy God, and run not before him, whatever betide, in joy or in sorrow. Still follow the Lord, and looking to Jesus, Still trust in His Word. My, what a song. I just wish I had known those words the previous day. Amen. Praise God. And that's what I want us to do for the next little while. Just take a little time to be holy. Praise God. Holiness means more than the outward appearance. Amen. That's part of it. But we need to take some time to be holy today. Praise God. Being a musician, I was reading a book the other day about the great Steinway piano. It's, it's a marvelous book, and I was greatly intrigued by it, the Steinway Piano Company. And it gave so many statistics until I jotted them down. It takes nearly one year to make a piano. It takes 400 workers and over 12,000 parts. The wood in the piano ages a year outside in all kinds of weather. And then it's brought in and loaded into the ovens, the kilns, and it dries out at 160 degrees Fahrenheit. That lovely, graceful arch around that piano And it is so pretty, it gives such dignity. It takes twelve sheets of three-sixteenths of an inch maple veneer glued together, and then they put it in a rim press where it's bent into that shape, and it's left overnight under extreme, tremendous pressure. Then it's carried to a drying room, and it's left in that drying room for ten weeks. During that time, a sounding board or a sound board is being made, and it's made out of expensive Sitka spruce. It's shaped to be eight millimeters thick in the center and five millimeters thick at the edges. Sixteen hundred and fifty-nine square inches of this Sitka spruce goes into that sound board. Then a bridge is made. Uh, and this is uh, where the strings are going to be stretched over. And it takes 240 metal strings so tightly stretched that all together they exert 40,000 pounds of tension per square inch. That's 20 tons. 20 tons of tension. So you're tense today? <laughs> <laughs> You can do with it what you want to do with it. You can go over there and bang on it, or you can play a beautiful melody. Twenty tons of tension. Watch it. Don't hit it. It might explode. <laughs> no, I don't think there's any danger. And then the tuning pins are next, and it, they're made out of premium blue steel with rust-resistant nickel heads. And that building of that Steinway piano requires the precise measuring and exact and sensitive work by the hands of craftsmen who are really called artists. Those thin strings, the tiny ones, vibrate more rapidly, making the treble notes, and the thicker copper-covered strings vibrate more slowly, and they make the bass notes. There are 201 treble strings and 39 thick copper-wrapped bass strings, and it's kind of like threading many needles to get them all in place. Then the action. That's what makes it go. And you cannot uh, have the music to come out without the movable, constantly changing positions uh, uh, which responds when you're playing on those keys. Then it has to be free of all friction. Every action of each key is carefully tested. A man or a woman sits patiently placing lead weights on one key at a time to see just how soon it will go down when it's played with a hand. Does it move too rapidly? Is it too loosely? Is it too stiff? Eighty-eight keys must respond with correct sensitivity. Then there's what they call the damper man. Yeah, we have them. Amen. (laughs) That's those spells, you know, and they've got to be just right. (laughs) Because the quality of the piano's voice depends upon his sensitive adjustments. Amen. Twenty-five hours it takes him to do it before it's ready for the tuner. Then when the tuner comes in... uh, he has to be all alone. He can have no distractions, for it, ha- it has to vibrate at 440 cycles per second. And he tunes the A, and he gets what's called A440. And then he tunes every other string to it, and he goes over it and over it and over it. Finally, the lid, the music rack, the legs, the final polishing, and it's ready for the display room. And I know that's been of great interest to you. <laughs> 400 workers and 12,000 parts and one year in the making? Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What an instrument. And then some great songwriter said, Flowers have the sunshine. The earth has the rain. Lord, you you know I'm nothing. Without your Spirit my life so in vain. Mold me and make me to be more like You. Make me an instrument of love brand new. Praise God. Praise God. Make me an instrument of Your love today, and may I remember Your sweet children. Lord, every time I pray, let me see the good side in the bad side of all my days. Make me an instrument of your love, your way. Some people speak about your love, but to them I know it's just talk, for when I caught a glimpse of real love, it was hanging on an old rugged cross. Let me be like Jesus as he prayed, O oh, my Father, forgive, and make me an instrument each day that I live. <sighs> so, it takes time. A whole year to make a Steinway. Sixty years to bring me where I am today. And I still need some tuning. To rush, to rush, to rush. Oh no. Take time to be holy. Set the dampers just right and tune the strings one more time, Lord. Amen. For I want to be that instrument. Hey, Amen. Somebody's got to hear a beautiful note today. No pounding and no uh discords. It's got to be perfect. And when it's played, it's got to be with the right action. Hey, Amen. There's nothing worse for a pianist to sit down at a dull piano. A dead piano is hopeless. Ever try playing You That Play when the pedals don't work? Well, it's... It's the kiss of death, I tell you. Amen. <laughs> when that pedal don't work, you might as well just not try. Because it's all got to work together. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. First Samuel 16 and 16 said, Saul's servant said unto him, Let our Lord command thy servants to seek out a man who is a skillful player of the harp. Amen. And God said to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? When the morning stars sang together. Hallelujah. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the temporal and dance. Praise Him on the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Make me an instrument hallelujah 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 praise God amen rush you don't rush about it anything that's worth doing is worth taking your time praise God you know I don't know if we are as much in love with Jesus as we think we are amen let me say that again I don't know whether we are as much in love with Jesus as we think we are. You know, the common expression nowadays is let's have a word of prayer. Old timers used to sing, sweet hour of prayer. Amen? What a difference. the James Dallas told an interesting thing uh, over in the... Uh, Scottish Conference he said there was a young man who had been driving to his church in in the London area one way over a hundred miles and then a hundred miles back, of course, there was a young lady uh, involved he wasn't just coming for church but he had a an interest in but he he did get into church, but anyway, he said one one evening he went over to this the house of where this young lady lived and it was it was uh, about uh, nine or so at night. And when he got there, she was uh, she was on the phone. And when he left, she was still on the phone. And uh, he found out that she stayed on the phone from 9.20 in the evening till 7.10 the next morning, talking to this young man. What in the world did they have to talk about? 7 or 9.20 until 7.10 in the morning. Brother Dallas said he told that at ABI when he was visiting over here in the States and, he, and a young lady came up rather sheepish looking and she said, well, I can, I can beat that. She said, I have a boyfriend in Virginia, and he called me one night at 8.30, and we talked till 7.30 in the morning. Well, it wasn't much of a beating, but it could go in the Guinness Book of World Records. (laughs) Amen. All night talking on the phone to another human being. You say, now, I can't talk to the Lord because I can't see Him. She couldn't see Him either. Amen. She could just hear His voice. Amen. But all night long, they found something of interest because they had an interest in each other. And we come to prayer, and we can't find enough to talk to the Lord about. Amen. 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 Oh, God, help us. God, help us. It's got to be that we take time. You're here in the School of Missions and you're not just idling your way. You are taking time to get what you need from the Lord. You're taking time to be holy. I've come today because I want to get in on it with you. I want to take some time today to be holy. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I can't see you, Lord. But I can feel you. I can hear you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, when God called me to preach, it's been now over 40 years ago, and when I had to preach my first sermon, I can remember, you know, it was it was something. For me, God to call me to preach, I was timid and shy and withdrawn and backward and inferiority complex you name it I had it I couldn't even testify and I came up in the time when if you didn't testify you were thought to be backslid they had testimony services every night and you had to testify you had to testify well it was hard for me so I memorized one and uh, I said it every time because I didn't want them to think I was backsliding. The Lord has done great things for me wherever I'm glad. Sit down. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. You yeah, know, that's good. Hallelujah. But to preach, you know, that's another thing. We got this mental fixation about preaching. And I had seen preachers all my life. And how was I ever going to stand up there and, and preach? I, I had no options. I just, if I, if I preached, it meant I was going to have to stay on my knees. I mean, really stay on my knees and do some fasting and, and then eke out about five minutes. Lose my thought and suddenly sit down. <laughs> I had no options, though. Couldn't depend on nothing. Read a few books and, and of course studied the Bible and and had no options. Just just had to really depend on the Lord. Amen. But I'd be uh, you know kind of dumb if in these forty years I hadn't learned some options. Yeah, I get up and and talk. Now, you know, by reason of use, I can get up and say some things and call it preaching. It's really not, but, uh, you know, I can get by, I guess. It uh, seems like <laughs> sometimes I have. Hey, Amen. But you know what? I wish I didn't have any options. I wish I didn't have those options. I'd like to go back to the feeling of that first time I preached, Amen. You know when I, I, I had no vocabulary, I wasn't articulate, and, and uh, still not, and had no personality, still don't, and you know, uh, but I, I like that feeling of hey, I can't do it, Lord. But it just takes some time now. Take some time. Get with it, hey, Amen. I wish it didn't have any options man. Do you remember when you were first asked to sing a solo? Uh, You you never had done it before. And you, you knew that you couldn't do it without the Lord. You didn't have any options. Remember? And the usual phrase, it was always, you could always count on it, the statement made before they sang Don't listen to my voice. (laughs) Listen to the words. (laughs) Yeah, because they really meant it. I don't think I can sing, but I want you to hear the message. And they really, truly meant it when they said it. They might have just gotten about halfway through the song and the Spirit of the Lord would come and they'd begin to weep and oh my, what a time. But it seems like nowadays they don't say it, but they act it. Don't listen to the words. Listen to my voice. Hey, we're tired of listening to voices. Amen. We want some anointing. Amen. And you just don't get up and work the mics. Amen. That's what they call it. Amen. Working the mics. And they get almost where they just swallow it. And they blast us. <laughs> and I like good singing. But oh, you know, if somebody were to get up today and say, Don't listen to my voice. Uh, listen to the words. We'd almost snicker. Or we'd think they's putting on. But oh, for that day again, amen. Where we didn't feel like we could do it, amen. You say, well, Brother Bechtin, I I don't feel like I can do it. Well, I don't either. But you know, there's something that sometimes eats on us and makes us feel like that we can. You remember the first time you was asked to teach a Sunday school lesson, the first time. And you spent all week long studying and preparing. And you got up there before those eight-year-olds. And, and uh, you, you didn't know really how to put it all together. But they came out of that classroom feeling something. Amen. We have a lot of options nowadays. Praise God. Praise God. But I'm here to tell you that the world doesn't need our options. They don't need what we can do. We've got to take time to be holy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God, Praise God. Praise God. We've got to take time. Take time to be holy. Hmm. Praise God. Hallelujah. The story is told of a great violinist. He could really play. And he had in his mind an instrument that if it could possibly be made, he didn't know whether it could or not, that if it could be made, it would sound, or it could be made sound, if it was played right, like a human voice. Well, he went to a great violin maker and he tried to explain what he wanted the violin maker nodded and said, I think I can do it. Give me some time. I'll let you know when it's it's finished. So several months went by and the violinist thought maybe the man had either forgotten or didn't start on it or something. But he finally, finally received word that it was finished for him to come in. So he came and there on the table lay a beautiful instrument, a beautiful instrument. And uh, he walked over without saying a word. He he knew it was the one. He picked it up and he, he began to play as he put it under his chin. And he drew the bow across the strings. And then a sudden look of disgust came across his face. No, this isn't it. And he took that instrument and he crushed it against that desk and it flew all over that room into hundreds of little pieces. And he walked out. Never expected to hear from that violin maker ever again. Wouldn't blame him. But after a period of many more months, he was called again to come, and there lay another beautiful instrument. And again, he walked over and he picked it up and he put it under his chin. He pulled the bow across it. He was, he had that right fingering dexterity and he played and he closed his eyes and the sound was just what he wanted and it was so piercing that he went out and everybody passing by on the streets and even across the street stopped to listen as he played and it seemed that he couldn't stop, he just played on and on, this is exactly what he had in mind and finally, finally, when he was able to finally stop playing he, he tenderly, carefully laid it back down without getting a scratch on it and he looked with a smile at the violin maker and he said, Sir, this is exactly what I had in mind but pray tell me how did you make it? And the violinist said, Well, you remember the other violin? You broke it into many pieces. I spent hours and days fitting those pieces back together like a puzzle because they were jagged. I had to have them just right. And I put them together. It took so much time. And then when I had every piece in place, I finished it, polished it. And the instrument that you've played on today is the pieces put together. Well, praise God. Have you ever sung... Mold me, make me after Thy way. Thou art the Potter, and I am the clay. Praise God! Yeah, He takes the the pieces, the broken pieces, Amen, and He puts them He puts them all together again, again, and again, and out of our brokenness out of our taking time to let him make us into a concert piano. piano. And then the playing of the beautiful, beautiful music. Oh, God, help us. I want to be an instrument. I really do. I really want to be an instrument that he can use for his glory. But you and I will never get accomplished this great task until we have taken time to be holy. Right. Praise God. This past summer I had uh, uh, preached, at, I believe it was the Illinois camp, during the daytime, and I had left there on Friday after my session, and I went into the office, and there on my desk was... Uh, was a note that said, please, please call this number. And the name was Jean Martin. And the note said, uh, she's called a time or two. Please try to reach her today, if possible. Well, I didn't know her. I picked up the phone. I dialed the number. And she answered, and I said, I understand you're trying to reach me. This is Reverend Becton. Yes, this is Jean Martin. And she said, are you the Brother Becton that preached a camp meeting in Oklahoma some uh, maybe a year or two ago? And I said, yes, I did preach a camp meeting in Oklahoma. She said, well, I have intended to call you for a long time. I have wanted to call you. And uh, just have kept putting it off month after month. I've intended to call you because I wanted to tell you something. She said one night in that camp meeting, and before she told me that, she said, uh, "My husband and I are divorced, and we have one little girl that's fourteen years of age, and I, we're living in the Dallas, Texas area, and I don't care didn't care about church, didn't want to go to church." But I sent my little 14-year-old girl to spend the summer with her grandmother up in Oklahoma. And her grandmother, who is Pentecostal, took her to that camp meeting. And in one of the night's services, there was a message of tongues and interpretation. And the interpretation went something like this. There's someone here in this service tonight that needs God. You will never be in another camp meeting. Something to that effect. She told me, and I remembered. And she said, uh, my little girl, my 14-year-old girl, went to the altar that night and said, that's me. And she went to her grandmother and she said, Grandmother, I'm not going to live. She didn't get the Holy Ghost that night, but the grandmother took her home with her to uh, her home church for the weekend, and over the weekend she was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then she went home to her mother in Dallas, the lady that I was talking to. And she said, Brother Beckton, I'll have to admit that when I heard about it, I was mad. To think that something would happen in a church that would stir my little 14-year-old girl like that. She said, I was, I was upset. I didn't care about church, didn't care about God, didn't care about anything. But my little girl told me, said, Mother, I'm not going to live. God spoke to me. And I'm I'm ready to go. But Mother, promise me that you will meet me in heaven. And one month after my little girl came home, she was smitten with a a degenerative nerve condition that put her in the hospital. And she lived eight months and died. And she said again before she died, "Mother, please promise me you'll meet me in heaven." And she said, "Brother Beckton, I just wanted to tell you that at that time I was going with a, a a man who was a successful businessman." And I said, "Come on, let's go to a Pentecostal church here somewhere. Let's find it. My little girl has made me promise it." We went, and my boyfriend didn't like it. He said, "If this is what you want, this is the parting of the ways." And I said, "This is what I want." And she said, Brother Becton, I prayed through. I'm living for God. Hallelujah. And she said, there are so many miracles attached to my little girl's illness that the whole hospital was stirred by it. And when they built their new wing since her death, they have named it the Christy Martin Memorial Wing. God would take an entire camp meeting, one night's service in the camp meeting. Where there was about three to maybe four or five thousand people, and single out one little girl, fourteen years of age, that he knew would cause a chain reaction. A mother away down in Dallas, a man now prayed through, living for God. A hospital that stirred because a little girl had such faith and confidence in her God. Praise God! Oh, I'm telling you, folks. I want to be an instrument. There's chain reactions that need to occur every day from our lives. Amen. Somebody has to be touched. Take Time to be holy. Amen. It's not just mere words. Amen. But it's the anointing behind the words. It's not just singing. It's the anointing behind the singing. It's not playing an instrument. It's the anointing behind the playing of the instrument. It's the anointing in whatever we do. We can never come up to the world standard as far as entertainment. And who wants entertainment? Oh, praise God. Amen. My favorite singer, long deceased. Oh, she didn't have what we have. She was a black lady. But she was a singer. Mahalia Jackson. My God, could that woman sing. She was so popular. She sang only religious songs. She had her own radio broadcast out of Chicago. She lived there. And it it was over the Columbia Broadcasting System, and it went all over the United States. You could hear Mahalia Jackson. Some of you don't know her, but oh, to hear her sing. Amen. I have some of her tapes yet. One night she was singing on that uh, program, and uh, she was singing a, a song entitled, A City Called Heaven. And uh, as she was singing it, she closed her eyes and she began to weep. She came to the end where she was supposed to end, and every minute was counting because the program had been fit together to so many minutes. But when she got to where she was supposed to have stopped, she was so into the song until she just started it all over and sang it all over again. And when she could finally stop with the tears rolling, she raised her hand into the air and she shouted, Oh, glory! And then she realized that not only did that song go out all over America, but that shout. So she needed to make some explanation. And she said this, Pardon me, Columbia Broadcasting System. I forgot where I was. Pardon me, school of missions. I want to forget where I am. I want to forget who I am. I want to forget everything. Hey, my bag got lost. Still don't have it. They hadn't traced it yet. Coming in from Texas. I want to forget about everything to in that suitcase. And I say that to say, hey, the mediocre, the little things are sometimes those that plague us and, and we think we've got to get it done. But hey, today we need to forget where we are, who we are, what we're doing, and get lost if a young lady can talk to a young man all night long. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah. we got to get Jesus in our focus. Amen. I love to preach for the black folks. We preached at Brother and Sister Earl's Church Sunday a week ago. My God. Mm. If I could have that kind of a a reception. (laughs) If the one wasn't rubbing up and down my back, (laughs) some of them out in the congregation was shouting, Amen. And, you know, if you don't preach Jesus enough, there will be one of them in the congregation that will be saying softly, Get him up. Get him up. Get him up. Get him up. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's get him up. (laughs) If I be lifted up, I'll draw men. Amen. Get him up. Get him up. Amen. Nothing matters in your life but him. Praise God. Hallelujah. I didn't care if I never saw another sight in London. I had to take time that day to be holy. Praise God. Take time. Amen. Hallelujah. God's waiting on us. The world is waiting on us. You going out there where it's, it's you know, where the rubber meets the road, if somebody says, Amen. And you gotta have it. You don't have any options. You think you do? I think I do. Hey, Amen. Yeah, I could go over there to the piano right now and play your song and you just clap. Hey, Amen. But I don't want any kind of options. I don't want any talent to rely on. I just want the anointing of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I know you can minister in music. You can minister in singing. You can minister in testifying. But oh, when you do it, you've got to have the anointing. It cannot be your own talent. It cannot be your own doings. It cannot be something that you've learned. It's got to be that you have prayed through about it. Ah Woo. Hallelujah. 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 Problems? Yes, you've got problems. But he's greater than your problems. Amen. Worries? You've got concerns, yes. Amen. But do you remember when it all began? When you first received the Holy Ghost, you felt like you could run through a troop and leap over a wall. Now you've got so many bridges and so many things that uh, support you. And tell, what are you going to do? Get rid of the options. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't ever see Brother Goodwin, and he won't mind me telling this. I don't ever see him. He was here three or four years ago, and I told him. But I don't ever see him, and please, Brother Goodwin, you don't mind, with that one arm gone. The Sunday morning that I sat in that church in Pasadena, California, many years ago, and his father, a precious man, stood to his feet to testify, and Brother Goodwin was a little boy sitting on the seat by him with his arm gone. And his father said in his testimony, Folks, I got too busy. Got too busy. It was in construction work, I believe, and it was right after the war, and he was building houses, and he just neglected to go to church, and neglected God, and he said... One day took my little boy over to the job with me and had a new saw. And I may not be telling it exactly right, but anyway, as he turned this saw on, this table saw some kind of saw on, Brother Goodwin, the little boy, was playing around it. And as his father turned his back, he heard the scream. And he saw that his arm was caught in that saw. He quickly grabbed him up put him in the car and was rushing him to the emergency room. And I believe he told it like this. It's been many years ago when the boy was screaming and crying and the blood was gushing and he could tell it better than I can tell it. But he, I believe his father said while they were on the way to the, to the hospital, the little boy stopped crying for just a moment and said, Daddy, if you hadn't been so busy, this wouldn't have happened to me. And Brother Goodwin said, since that time, I've turned back to God. Brother Goodwin, you carry that sleeveless arm because somebody needed to take time to be holy. Praise God. Praise God. Missionary today, his dad would be so pleased. His dad didn't live long after that. Be so pleased. know that the boy that brought him to his senses caused him to realize that there were things better than jobs and construction work, and that's all right when you just give it all. Hey, man, you got to stop and take some time. I've got to stop and let you go. But there's something here today. alhamdulillah hallelujah 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 speak oft with the Lord Lord we thank you today we thank you today you're so good You're here, Lord, and you want to stop us on our busy roadway. Help us to hear your voice. Oh, God, we come to that garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice that we hear falling on our ears. Oh, God, help us to hear your voice. In the name, in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus' name. Sweep over my soul. Sweep over my soul. Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together. Praise. Could we just come assemble here across the front? Everybody come. For a moment, for a moment. Amen. God has something for us today, for me, for you. Dear God, dear God, take a little time.